This is Conversations about Eastern Europe. Today I speak with Natalia Suyeva. She is a language lover from Ukraine and she is a Ukrainian student as well. She's very interested in Ukrainian culture and today she wants to bring uh, some of her um, ideas that she has had about what she would like to talk about um, about Ukrainian culture um, to light and also she just knows a lot about Ukrainian culture so we talk a lot about that and yeah other than that just uh, enjoy the conversation welcome to a conversation with Natalia from Ukraine before you say anything let me just talk a bit about who I am uh, my name is Emil I'm from Denmark I'm from Copenhagen in Denmark and I'm 26 years old. I study political science and I have been politically active in what is called the Danish Social Democratic Youth and spend a lot of hours there. Um, yeah, so that's who I am. And now I just want you to present yourself. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Natalia and I'm from Ukraine. I'm 23 and uh, I have studied languages for the most part of my life, including English, um, also French, Spanish, German and Italian. Uh, but right now I'm studying literature, mainly English literature, but also um, I have grown more interested in Ukrainian literature as such. And um, I would I hope that I will be able to share some of my own personal findings, um, some things that happened in the conscience of Ukrainians um, with uh, the full-scale invasion and generally uh, interest you more in Ukrainian literature because um, I'm convinced it's marvelous and it's a pity that not so many people know that. And yeah, for me personally, I at least know that I don't know that much about Ukrainian literature, but I would like to know more about it. Um, so it's glad, I'm glad that you bring that thing up. Um, and also, uh, yeah, I'm just glad that you wanted to come and be on the show and has also said yes to become an Ukraine influencer in your own right. Um, and that's just going to be whatever that is going to be. Um, but at least I now, I now know that I'm not the only committed Ukraine influencer out there. Um, but we will, uh, yeah, we will for sure return to that in uh, the end of the conversation. Um, is it all right if I um, read the Instagram message you sent me about um, where you wrote a, uh, a bit more about what you were doing and um, some of the, the thoughts you had upon your personal relation to the war? Well, I think I can actually talk about it, um, like in a. You can just talk about it straight off the show. Then uh, I think you should just, um, yeah, say whatever you, um, yeah, you want to say. Um, yeah, so I will begin with um, some news that um, actually were very painful yesterday for all Ukrainians and especially for those uh, who knew. The person and who are interested in Ukrainian literature as such. 
Um, so in your last episode on the Ukraine feeling, you mentioned the attack in Kramatorsk, uh, which is a city in the east of Ukraine. Um, this is the city where some um, Ukrainian military actually takes a small break, you know, like going um, to a cafe, just taking a breath and then getting back to the front line. So obviously there are um, a lot of, there is a lot of military presence, I would say, but also uh, in Kramatorsk, um, there are still a lot of civilians. And um, so a few days ago, uh, there was a missile attack in the city, one of many, in which um, a lot of people were seriously injured. And as far as I know, 13 right now is the count of them dead. Uh, and one of those people uh, was uh, a Ukrainian writer, Victoria Melina. Uh, and she is also a human rights activist. And um, for for years, she had fought for human rights, for releasing uh, Ukrainian imprisoned writers, among them Stanislav Vasayev, who uh, was kidnapped um, in Donetsk um, after it had been occupied. Uh, back in 2014 and so she actively fought for that and for his release and that was a success and now people can read his book um, about spending some time in an isolation torture camp uh, in the Donetsk region. Uh, it's basically called In Isolation because isolation is the name of the place where he was held. In Ukrainian it's Izolatsia, so isolation. Um, and so she was in Kramatorsk on the day of the missile attack and she was gravely injured and a lot of people were just praying for her to survive, but she didn't. And we all found out about that yesterday to give you a sense of like the talent we lost. I would just briefly like to read um, her poem, which I saved. Uh, in translation, you can still hear me, is that right? So, hopefully you can, like if I leave, yeah, okay, great, because I just saved it. Um, give me a moment, please. Here we go, so um, last year she wrote um, a poem and it's called No Poetry. So she says, I write no poetry. I'm a novelist. It's just the war reality devouring all punctuation, devouring the plot coherence, devouring coherence, devouring. As if shells hit language, the debris from language may look like poems, but they are not. This is no poetry too. Poetry is in Kharkiv, volunteering for the army. Um, so in this poem, she is referring to the fact that a lot of uh, prominent Ukrainian poets and writers, um, when the full-scale invasion started back in February 2022, went to volunteer and fight in the army. Among them, Serhii Zhadan, uh, Alexander Mehad, and other famous Ukrainian writers. Um, and so she was also a war crimes researcher, and she was trying to document um, all the war crimes that had taken place in the occupied regions. 
for example, <clears throat> uh, have you heard about Kharkiv and like all the um, mass graves that were uncovered when it, this region was liberated? Not really. So <clears throat> yeah, uh, Kharkiv is located uh, in the east of Ukraine and uh, some of the villages um, like close to it uh, were occupied uh, back in 2022, like in winter and spring. Uh, but Kharkiv, as like the big city, uh, wasn't captured. And then at the end of summer, uh, the Ukrainian forces managed to liberate this part. And they uncovered a lot of mass graves, uh, a lot of torture camps, like in basements. Uh, where children even were kept and they were like leaving marks on the walls of the basement, you know, like marks to just count the days, count the people who were dead. And among, the, among those discoveries, there was another one, which is related to our literature again. So, um, yeah. Oh yeah, it's just sometimes if I look up, uh, it means I'm thinking a little bit. Okay. But that's uh, usually maybe the times that I listen the most as well. So, yeah, just uh, keep talking. Okay, okay, thanks. So, um, circling back to what I was saying, um, one of the people who went missing uh, in that region previously occupied by Russians uh, was uh, our novelist uh, who wrote, like, books for children. And his name is Volodymyr Vakulenko. Um, and so uh, he went missing, and then he was like later he was identified. Um, Can I just ask and... one thing quickly here? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you do you think that Russia is profiling Ukrainian Ukrainian literature literary contributors, and then pick, are, are picking them at an increased rate? I know this question sounds uh, insane. But it is just to find out if um, if they are targeting Ukrainian culture. Um, well, um, there is a fact well known among Ukrainians that when the Russians were entering Ukraine uh, back in February, they had lists of all the people who were in this way or other contributing to Ukrainian language, Ukrainian literature and Ukrainian culture. And if this invasion... <laughs> Uh, and this takeover had been successful, uh, by now they would be either dead, kidnapped, or maybe kept alive, but subdued to some extent. And I also know this personally since I study in, uh, at a university, and like university professors um, also, they are like in this uh, network of people who contribute to literature and not only like English literature or other literatures we study, but also Ukrainian literatures. And so they shared with us as students um, that like some people they knew uh, that occupied like positions uh, were actually on those lists. And in the first days of invasion, they uh, received calls uh, telling them that probably like you should go to like a safer place because you're under a risk so the short answer to your question is yes i do believe that um like ukrainian intellectual elite it is being targeted 
however, in the case of Kharkiv, um, you know, like the most important point is that not only Ukrainian uh, intellectual elite was targeted, but actually every Ukrainian. Um, and so this is... Can I, can I put one point mm -hmm. upon, upon yeah. this here? I think it's the reason why it is also important to talk about the culture thing is that I think that a lot of people where I come from, for them, culture is more important than suppression. And it's not to um, neglect the, the feelings of any people who who doesn't feel um, the same as I think you and I do. Um, but the point is that the suppression hit, hits the culture as well and why would you why would you hit the culture if um yeah if you had no intentions about destroying also culture so i think what they have to realize people who really love music and so on um once again not to um blame anyone because nobody ever taught anyone at my age or younger this i, re I really believe so Um, so, so we were never taught this, but when someone, when a power like Russia tries to destroy Ukrainian culture, that that means that they are there for the power, and if they want to get the power as well, then they also have to subdue the hearts and minds of people, um, and they and they can only do that if they if they destroy the culture as well, and. I think that is the underlying parameter for what I asked about and what you believe as well is true. Um, and I believe that's, that's why we think it like, think it like that, but maybe cannot prove it with numbers because this is a war. Uh, yeah. So that was just a thought, a, th a quick thought from me, but you were talking about, um, the fact that we had to remember the children as well. And I would just like to, um, connect these two things then and say that for people to know that this is about people that, that reminds themselves of them. Um, they also, yeah, if they want to know about how many people's people it is about, they also have to know that it is for about people that also reminds of them who likes the same things, who just want to live the same lives as a, yeah, as where you can think and speak freely. Um, yeah, that ended up as a speech a little bit, I guess. Um, but I think that's because this is the answer to a lot of the points that a lot of people don't understand. Um, but yeah, and you were actually putting pressure on the fact that this was not just the Ukrainian elite, of course. Um, and I think that's a, an even more important um, point as well. But if the Ukrainian elite can help other people get the get the yeah the notion of what's going on then mentioning it and talking about why it is a bad thing is still a very good idea i think i, I really believe so um yeah but yeah you were talking about the fact that there were a lot of people in these basements and and i think we should you should just go on from where you um ended the last time yeah i'll just pick up where i left off 
So, um, yeah, I was telling about uh, one of the people who um, were killed um, during the occupation of that region near Kharkiv. And that was um, a novelist um, who wrote books for children. And his name is Voldemar Vakulk. I'll just repeat a few details for us to get back on track. Um, and Victoria Amalina, um, whom I previously talked about, she found his diary under a cherry tree. And during occupation, he wrote this diary. And he specifically asked his father to like keep it somewhere. And then, like, when the region is liberated, uh, give it to our defenders, like, give it to Ukrainians uh, for people to find out more. And just a few days ago, like, uh, last weekend, I guess, there was a book festival in Kiev um, held, like, in a place that would be sheltered in case of missile attacks. And there, for the first time, this book was presented. And Victoria Melina, as I mentioned, was the one who actually found the diary. So she was looking for it with his father and she spotted it like near the ground, uh, in the ground. And like, we also found out about her death. Um, like she died, like we found out about that yesterday, but as far as I know, she died on the 1st of July. And that is the birthday of this uh, man, Volodymyr Vakulenko, which is, a painful detail and a reminder for us um, about all the lives and talent and Ukrainian future we're losing. And also, also a reminder about how important how how import, important it is to keep searching for what is the truth about what is happening because that the yeah I don't know I don't remember the expression right now but it's something about the fact that you have to. Um, pay attention to the detail, I think. Um, and that's a wording. And I'm also more interested in, interested in the language um, than I am than I am in the yeah, in the cold hard facts, if you can say it like that. And and I think that's yeah, so so what you said, just um there is a saying for it. And I think there is a reason why sayings are true as well. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to say that, sorry. That's all right, thanks. Um, and, um, yeah, as a tribute to Victoria Melina, yesterday a lot of um, Ukrainian, um, like Ukrainian figures known in the field of literature and journalism and publishing uh, shared some of her works, uh, among them also an essay where she wrote about cancel culture and execute culture. And by execute culture, she actually meant something that you and I have already discussed, this um, targeting, um, like in a purposeful targeting of Ukrainian intellectuals. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about the, the term um, executed renaissance, uh, but the point I'm going to prove only um, in your sorry, um, you in wrote my story, in, or mm. in your uh, message. I don't remember, but okay, I, I've right. seen it. I've seen it somewhere, and in it, um, it's for sure. It's for sure you. Yeah. So the point I'm going to prove is that this is not the first time that the Ukrainian intellectual elite is being targeted by Russians. Um, so back in the 20th century, 
um, when the Soviet Union was just created. Like at first, it um, had this policy of colonization, like for so it it kind of allowed all the cultures that were then parts of that Soviet Union to keep speaking their language, keep writing in their language, get published in their language. And that was like a period of renaissance in uh, Ukrainian literature as well, because there were a lot of famous poets and writers and uh, playwrights as well uh, who are writing in Ukrainian. Um, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. Can you just uh, repeat the the mm -hmm. time frame for this because i i really mm -hmm. I, and i'm not kidding right now i know a lot about eastern european history um so i always like to have things into context and i, I will just ask you a follow-up question afterwards yeah. uh, just to hear your thoughts about it yeah so these were uh the 1920s so up until like um, the end of 1920s this policy was like not very restrictive, so you could publish in Ukrainian, you could write in Ukrainian. But after that, they decided to change it. And like, step by step, they began detaining uh, Ukrainian intellectuals, among them also even musicians. Uh, and so some of them were detained. Um, and then eventually, in 1937, um, it all led to mass execution or imprisonment. So there are two locations um, notorious for these facts. One of them is Sandermach, um, which is in the Karelia region of Russia. So a lot of um, Ukrainian intellectuals were brought there and just executed. Um, like there, there were two famous playwrights, very young, like in their 30s, uh, Mikola Kulish and Les Kurbas, uh, and they were actually killed with one bullet. So uh, you can imagine like their heads just, you know, brought together and killed with one bullet. And there is another place, another location, which is Solovke. You know what? Um, that yeah. shows two things. It shows that they want to destroy culture and that they want to destroy um yeah, the feeling of um, people being together and um, doing the same thing, which is then something that they don't like. Mm, yeah, well, <clears throat> and another location is Solovke. That was like the location for camps where people were just forcibly deported. But the thing is that the conditions in which they lived were awful. And so eventually they also ended up dying. So if you Google executed renaissance uh, you will have like a list of writers novelists poets playwrights and you will have locations like died in Sandermach or died in Solovke <laughs> or it's like some of them like not all of them were killed and the exact numbers are not known but like there were um, more than 200 prominent figures and up to 190 of them went missing. Um, so you can, like, this is not the exact number, but you can just imagine the percentage, right? The scope of the tragedy. Um, and those people who survived the so-called 
purge, or as we call it, great terror, or executed renaissance, um, well, they were like kind of forced to follow the rules uh, because then um, all, all the cultures that were in the Soviet Union were forcibly Russianized, meaning that you could not publish in any other language other than Russian. Um, and if you published in Russian, you would have to follow some requirements like saying that the Soviet Union is great, um, socialism is great, and um, like, you know, everything is great. So if you wanted to survive as a writer and keep earning your money and keep being published, you would have to follow that. So um, that is like the gist about the executed renaissance. And I do encourage our listeners to find out more about that and fi find out more about the works. And um, yeah, is, is it all right if I uh, ask one follow-up question here? Sure. And uh, I just have to put it into historical context first um, because I know a lot about uh, yeah, histor history, as I said, and therefore I think that I've actually now reached a knowledge level in which it is possible for me, also due to my political knowledge, to put to put things into perspective um, at the times that they were happening. And um, I think what was happening in Ukraine in the 20s, I didn't know uh, there, there was also something called the executed renaissance. Um, but can I just quickly ask you to follow up Is it mm -hmm. um, a correct understanding on my path that on my part that it was the Ukrainian culture contributors that they started killing? Yes. So, like first. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah so, mm -hmm. can I just then because um, because it's it's a very broad point. So it, mm -hmm. sometimes that's what I do. Um, but to me, this shows that the twenties although not being the same as the years leading up to this uh, war that is happening right now, it shows that the period, meaning the, um, like the spirit of the, of the time, this including the whole of the international community was that we were in an informational warfare, warfare back then. And that informational warfare was also a part of what um, led the political system that you wanted to get into power um, in the places that you wanted to get that political system into power. I think that informational warfare were also a big part of that, at least on, the, on behalf of the USSR from very early on, because what they knew about that time as political uh, thinkers was that they knew that there was a high emphasis in the West about ideological things such as now we don't like imperialism anymore, for example. That was a notion mm -hmm. that was very much, very much, very much, sorry, forced through in the Western European communities in that exact same period. And I believe this is why that the USSR also in that period started off 
with hitting the culture contributors because they knew that at first they had to, and this is in no way, trust me, this is in no way to take anything away from the Ukrainians. And, and, I, I, and nobody can tell me how the history ended up being as it is um, because nobody knows, I think. But things happened and Ukraine was under, uh, or became a Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic in 1922. That's right. Yeah, and um, this means that initially the Russians, because they didn't, the Russian Soviet Socialist Republic, initially because they didn't have enough power, they had to do not an actual treaty with the Ukrainians, but a treaty that could make them stop fighting this war because they needed to end that war and then to then afterwards consolidate their power. And when you consolidate power with only power, um, you have to start off with destroying everything that is working against the power that you want to consolidate. And that is, I guess, the, um, yeah, the, yeah, the, it, it's not, I guess, but it's also um, one of the more easier influences that you can, um, that you can start with. Does that make sense in any way so that it, it's more, it's more difficult to start off by killing the people in Ukraine who are actually willing to die for Ukraine that, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, I'm talking too much right now. Um, this is how I see it. When there is an, an uh, informational right. warfare going on, it is more easy to change the narratives. And well, and, um, yeah, um, to just continue what you were saying, what they yeah, did was I, a bit it, more um, complicated. Um, I went a bit so, too far, I think, as well. So yeah. Yeah, that's okay. No worries. Um, so what they did um, that was like not only targeting. Ukrainian intellectuals, like this thing we have already covered. But at first, they gave them the freedom to write in Ukrainian. So, uh, so first of all, that did like two things that helped them identify the people to be destroyed later. And also, it helped them show like that maybe the Soviet idea wasn't so bad. And you know, this is also a very harmful influence although it doesn't you know sound what? that bad and you know what and you know what you know what the worst thing about it is is that they they completed in their um international um power struggle task which is which i think is that they convinced the west by um using ukraine for example uh, using ukraine for example as um as as something that you could then say, oh, but look what we did with Ukraine, we um we granted them their um right to free will and determination, which is something that were couldn't have been further away from the truth already back in nineteen twenty twenty two I think. Uh, but also, um, they didn't even have to say that because what they could say. Uh, was just that the Soviet people enjoy being together and that's it. Like um, even in the Second World War, um, as you know, the USSR claimed to uh, be victorious, but 
like up to 1 million Ukrainians died fighting in that war. So you see what's happening, like they claim all the good things uh, and they do not mention all the people and not only Ukraine, we shouldn't forget that there were other former Soviet republics, right? Um, like they just bring it under one umbrella, so to speak. And then after that, the claim that all of, all of the all of the good things that was the Soviet Union and who is um, like who comes next after the Soviet Union Russia right so Russia can take all the victories and claim that they were the ones who changed the history who won the Second World War but when you think of it this is not true was that like an um, an ending to that statement. That this was just not true. Um, yeah, like I just want—I just wanted to summarize. Because I, I agree. I agree. You know, you know why, and you know why I agree with this. Um, it's because to me. So okay, you can say it like this. Um, how do you say it? It's because I have to, yeah, put it into a good frame. All right. So to me, I study political science, and I have been active in politics as a volunteer like a volunteer and I was volunteering at a pretty high level I would say in terms of political volunteers in Denmark how many hours a week do they spend at it um, I did that for quite a long time and then I also did it uh, as a full-time employee which meant just spending even more hours because then you still ha have the voluntary energy Uh, that you want to bring uh, to it as well. Um, so yeah, for I've spent even more time doing voluntary politics, uh, and I think I was I was all right at it at least, uh, maybe even pretty good. But then um, then that just means that I'm a person um, when something like this comes along, because I I care about um, volunteers, I care about uh, will to sacrifice. I care about um, all the things that the Ukrainians are showing. And I care about those things because I think they are feelings that cannot be suppressed if you let people just feel them. Um, and that's why I think that the USSR also, yeah, like you said, lost. Um, they lost just right from the get-go because they didn't manage to create systems for people that the people in the system likes uh, like to live in. Um, and then you can say it's, a, uh, it's about um, international power struggle and bring the United States in and so on. Um, but to me, that's just an, a, a decoy, meaning that you can in that way escape from talking about what is the actual history. And that is to me the history of the people that were in these areas, the, the history of the people that were all, always suppressed in these areas. And you said they lost the Second World War as well. I totally agree. They didn't uh, they did they didn't yeah. lose on a short I mean, term I mean they they said Yeah, sorry, but yeah, they said they had won it, but I, yeah. Can I just explain it because I, this is not just something mm -hmm. that I'm saying. It's something that I would pretty acknowledge history professor and foreign uh An LSE expert has said, um, he said that in his mind, at least, they lost because 
they didn't manage to create a political system in which the people living under that system wanted to keep living in on a long-term basis. And that's because they did manage to create a system where you had power to keep it and people in there who um, were there by uh, free will. And I just think that's a great point because that takes away the focus from the war uh, and say that the war, while being extremely important in terms of which developments happened as a result of the war, they still lost the political um, system game, which is about creating systems, uh, political systems at least, that 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 are good for the people in there. And, and if you don't manage to do that, then, pe- then people, if they go to come together and um, and face their uh, yeah the threat, then then that will just inevitably end up creating other situations where the USSR didn't exist anymore, for example. And that's why I think that they lost the, the Second World War um, in the end. If that Does that make any sense? So I think that the USSR was a forever project that completely failed um, because the, the ideology was never there. Um, but, but there were some very terrifying will behind it, though. Um, yeah, and that's why I also think they lost the World War, Second World War, as well. Um, and now they are losing the war for Ukraine, two thousand and twenty-three. Yeah, sorry, do you, yeah, you had something to say? Uh, I just wanted to finish that one. Mm-hmm. Well, um, speaking about your point, I would say that they never really wanted to create such a system. Like, um, I believe what they wanted was to exploit the territories they had in order to get an economic uh, like benefit out of that in order to use that to promote themselves in the international area. Uh, so you're saying, point... sorry, so, so you're saying mm-hmm. that Vladimir Lenin, for example, when he came into power, he never had any good intentions? Um, I'm not saying that he had, uh, that he didn't have good intentions because intentions is something that only a person that has the intentions can actually like exactly. um, judge, then, you know what me, I mean? Then let me uh, say it in another way. In another way. Um, so, you th- why do, so why would you think, you are a, a language person as well, so you must, um, I'm sorry, I don't want to put the pressure on you here, um, but a guy like Lenin, why, why, why do you think he would think that he could have good intentions? And why do you think that he would be able to convince so many people about the fact that he had good intentions? Or if not that many people, then how could he uh, convince so many people that he was willing to um, yeah, go to war for? Mm, well, the reason is that what he was supposedly fighting against resonated with a lot of people. And he just said that aristocracy uh, was not a good way to go and that something must change. So imagine people who like were born in a situation where they would have to work for the aristocracy, for the supposed upper class. Um, I think it resonated with them, but what it resulted in was just more oppression 
maybe it wasn't visible from the start, but maybe you've heard about like I think, famous. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. Uh, I'm I'm one of the people who who believe that such things can be seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right I mean, it wasn't if you get, like if you get, if you get down to the bottom of the ideology. Ideologically, I'm oh, sorry, my English is. Uh, yes, it's worse when I'm tired. But if you get down to the ideology, that's how it how it said. If you get down to that, you can you can always find the answers. I believe. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, what I meant like wasn't visible from the start for people who were in it. Like you can get. Uh, like to the bottom of ideology right now from the point of historical distance but yeah like for those people um it also looked like a great that's idea that's my that's my advantage that's why that's my advantage also uh when talking about history by the way uh yes so um and like maybe you've heard about famous five-year plans like you know those plans that were designed to uh, bring economy to another level the same was, in order to complete those impossible five-year plans, they often had to resort to awful measures. And um, one of the consequences of that was the Great Famine. Like in Ukraine, um, it is estimated that more than four million people actually died of hunger um, in 1932 and 1933. Um, so uh, this is just like to illustrate my point that this system wasn't okay from the start, even before the Second World War, um, and after that either. And I just think it's um, it's it's very important. Um, although, yeah, I I speak about it as you said, um, with the luxury of historical distance. I just still think that history is very important. Um, so I also keep coming back to that um, to that subject, and I think it's because you can. The history um, is never the same, um, but it rhymes, uh, and that's something that I believe in. And that's because when you say it rhymes, it means that different things can always be uh, influencing each other, and that's why I think it's important to also think about the things as if they were happening if that makes any sense if you want to really um, get down to the bottom of it because otherwise um, you will just be guessing uh, and what i would then say that you you get more close to when you think of them as day-to-day -day events you also um, yeah first of all your guesses are more uh, qualified i would say and you also get closer to what really matters, which is what could have been done to prevent things that you wouldn't have uh, wanted to happen happen. Um, and I think that, yeah, um, Eastern Europe after the First World War is one is one of the uh, biggest uh, what ifs in in history. Um, and it's not that I I want to say that things should have been different or or anything for for any people because it it was as it was um but it is just to me at least it is a bit um yeah how can you say it i think that period of history is very understudied in 
the educations in Denmark that should actually be studying these areas given the time that we are in. And it's not to say that um, we then shouldn't be studying other things, not at all. But I think right now, since for Europeans, what Russia is doing towards the former Soviet republics and the former satellite states right now, or at least is trying to do, um, is something where we could learn a lot if we started studying the 20s in Eastern Europe. Because I also think that the... the yeah, in some in some crazy sense, uh, these two periods also feel the same to me. So so it kind of feels like uh, that Western Europe were also um, at least politically in the same mindset before the second not not before the Second World War maybe, but that mindset developed up through the twenties. We developed the mindset which was like um, the Great War, the war to end all wars. And then that became the true, uh, the truth. And I think that's that's because we wanted to believe in that truth, um, but it was not true, uh, because for example, in Ukraine, and in, in yeah, what was the Russian Empire? I believe tw- twelve million people um, died after the First World War. At least, um, I don't know if you have any historical um, like about the numbers. And it's also not that the numbers are the most important thing, um, but 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 still, I just think it's an important point that people need to hear, because that's almost as many people as died in the First World War. And yeah, think about the difference in your historical knowledge about these two things. Um, and once again, sorry, I I always sound a bit as if I talk down to people, and it's really not to um, to be like that. I just think that I I know some things about this that it could be pretty great if more people knew them um, because I think that would enable more people to kind of pull the strings together and get a sense of what's going on and not just following the news. Um, Yeah, so that's that's, uh, uh, the value that I want to send today uh, because I also do some... uh, yeah, some stuff uh, where I um, promote a value or something, and uh, it's it's been a while since I actually promote promoted one where I stated it. So I will do that this time. Um, do you have a, a value, Natalia, that you want to uh, like talk a bit about in relation to why the war in Ukraine is important to you? Um, well, let me start from some of the points you made, and then I'll get to it, okay? So, um, yeah, speaking about the fact that history rhymes, um, I do agree, because we can see a lot of um, things that just repeat themselves. Patterns. Patterns, that's right. That's what I mean. So, uh, as I said, like, Ukrainian elite isn't being targeted for the first time, we have executed Renee since 100 years ago, um, like a, a little bit less than that, but you got my point in the previous century. And we have Ukrainian intellectuals killed uh, as the result of this full-scale invasion uh, right now. We had great famine in 1932 and 1933. And by the way, there is a movie about a British journalist, Harith Jones, who covered this. 
and this is based on true events like the way he wanted to tell the world about it and how people were trying to silence that because it wouldn't look good in terms of the USSR image. Um, and so we have that great famine, right, uh, that killed a lot of Ukrainians. And also we know for a fact that uh, people in the occupied regions were kept starving, like um, the Russian military would intercept uh, humanitarian aid and would just like keep it to themselves and then maybe like give it away like some of it, but say that this is just because, you know, we are giving it to you. Not, uh, this is not the humanitarian aid from Ukraine. We are giving it to you. We are so, um, air quotes, generous. You know what I mean? Um, so, and that, um, that brings me to the point of my value. So, um, for us the value is to fight for our freedom and when i say that it is not only because we want to look great fighting for our freedom this is because if we lose the fight we stop existing um as you can see from all the facts and all the things that i've mentioned so far for us this is the fight for our very existence because um if um like if we lose this war then more of our intellectuals will be killed, the Ukrainian language will be banned, and more and more things will be happening. And awful things are happening even now during the fight, like children being deported to Russia without the consent of their parents, um, our culture being destroyed, um, like lots of civilians being injured and killed as a result of missile attacks that are targeted at civilian objects as well and um, I just truly hope and I have faith in the fact that we will win and I will keep fighting for our freedom so that is the value to fight for our freedom which includes speaking up which includes showing Ukrainian perspective which includes sharing our culture sharing our literature and showing um, the world that Ukraine has a role to play and that's very true. Um, that's just a very true thing um, to promote, I think, because what I believe that you are in some sense is promoting there as well is also like voluntarity, like being uh, like being a volunteer, um, because there is just something very good in doing that, and and that's what that it's. All right, so let me say it like this. This war is also a bit about um, like volunteering uh, for the U Ukraine on the part of the Ukrainians because nobody ever told the Ukrainians that they had to fight the Russians. The Ukrainians, they found that out themselves and they really found it out uh, the hard way. And I believe that was with uh, the Euromaidan protests that that uh, flip in the mind uh, happened because I as I don't know if you heard it but I spoke I just listened to a bit of my first conversation with Veronica and she said that that's that was when her mind changed when she was on the streets there and um, yeah and and I just think that all the values that you were talking about and the last one that you really put in 
so it's it's one big value of course to remember um but the last point that you made about showing it as well that's um that's important because if nobody shows it then why should anybody know it um and, and I, I really uh, believe that so yeah are you in just because i'm cu- i'm elaborating a bit about um value speaking so i just want to make sure that it, it's kind of, it's, it's that what i'm saying is kind of correct about about what you said as well does that make sense sorry that's all right no worries <clears throat> well you're a maiden uh truly like uh was a great shift uh, in the minds of many i personally wasn't there because i was 14 at the time like a teenager but people like students from my school where i studied uh in a town closer to the west of ukraine uh, actually went to euromaidan and i remember this time as a very solemn period of our history and a period where ukrainians found out um that they were all united uh in defense of their country in defense of their cultural identity which is very distinct um and is felt uh, as a distinct identity and we had it through all those years of you know being under different roles being part of the ussr we always had that ukrainian identity and i truly don't know how it survived all the purge all the terror and all the horrors but it survived and we keep defending it yeah totally and I think it's uh we are approaching uh the end a bit here and I would like to uh yeah just uh, first of all there was also a jingle um I do which is called uh, does the guest agree uh, but I don't think we have time for it now but that would have been funny as well to do where I present a theory or something um but we can maybe do that if you want to do another conversation in the future um but we can just see about that but now it's um i think we should talk a bit about the ukraine influencing thing because i think uh i know at least what ukraine influencing means to me and i think you get that also from listening to the ukraine feeling um it's it's about speaking out it's about speaking loud it's about saying what you believe is true what you believe is true and it's about saying it cons- consistently um and i think that what i've learned now after being on that festival is that it is very important that you do that without hurting anyone's feelings along the way um because i i think and this is not to be uh yeah uh say anything about anything but i spoke with some uh someone who knows a bit about Ukraine and she said that the Ukrainians are very direct and that uh sometimes also makes them a bit more difficult to agree with or with to to talk with um i don't know if this is true uh maybe it is for some people um to me it isn't um i think that since we are in this situation that we are in right now where ukraine is uh, defending it itself against a full scale invasion of uh, yeah a theoretical autocratic superpower i think that not superpower grand power but still theoretical um i think that 
what's the what's the what's the problem with being uh, direct? What's the problem with being um, kind of in your face? What's the problem with being all these things? Because that is what you need to be if you are in 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 a war. And I, and I just think that maybe what maybe what I actually think we should do is to be a bit more like the Ukrainians without being without losing who we are ourselves. Um, so so that what I want to do is to try to create an attitude change because I think that an attitude change is what is needed um, to be done in order to help the Ukrainians more because concrete policy decisions is um, also a lot about reading what is the attitude of the of the nation that you're gov- governing. And I think right now in a lot of countries, it, it is a bit like that um, the war is a sort of... A, okay, the, okay, so the point is that I want to get to is that I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, so So I have to work more on not doing that along the way of um of say of saying the things I want to say and doing the things I want to do um so so that point that point is still important to me but that's why when I say this I don't mean it um negatively towards anyone um but the point is that I feel like a lot of people see this war as a sort of reality show where they can just pick um where 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 everybody has just picked Ukraine, and we did that initially, and then we sent some support here and there. Um, whenever um, we 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 see that they really need it, and I think that's just such a. To me, that's a pretty shameful way, to um to follow a war, given the the nature of who I am with my political views and with my um, knowledge about. Yeah, history and such stuff, and yeah, that is just maybe a pretty different from what many people are like, and I get that. But I just very strongly believe in these things, um, so that's why I keep stating them. And as I told you also before, we, um, yeah, when we talked uh, before we yeah, did this conversation, uh, I also said that I just truly believe that doing more for Ukraine right now is doing what is best for the world because that's the only way in which you cre- you contribute to creating the situation in the world in which all the things we're talking about can become a reality because they will never be a reality if we let people and countries with a lot of force um, become problems for us without doing the correct things uh, about it. Yeah, so, so that's really why I think the... Ukraine uh, situation is so important and that is why my Ukraine fluencing uh, initially which is what, what I would like to say now in, here in the beginning because I've only been doing it uh, like in the style that I have right now for around three months and I am a pretty <laughs> direct person as well so if I drink and I feel like doing uh, Ukraine fluencing then I will just start doing some Ukraine Ukraine fluencing especially if I'm at a festival and I'm in between situations. So it's like, all right, here, and then I have a moment and then I can do like, or something like that. And especially if I feel like the people that are around me also think it's all right to do it. Uh, so I will still keep doing Ukraine flinching in the same way. I will just think more about not hurting anyone along the way. 
and I think uh, that's just an important thing to um, yeah to think about for me because for me it's about feelings um, it's about fi- uh, fighting for uh, not just what you think but also what you feel um, so yeah so that's um, I think that's the point that I would like to say about the, my Ukraine clinching so far because we, we have to be direct I, I think but we and we have to speak out loud and speak out clear and speak speak out consistently, but we have to also do it in our own right, um, so that everybody can um, can get along and, and do it in in whichever way they want to. Um, I will just make sure to tone my style a bit down a bit, but I think <laughs> I still will keep some of it. Um, yeah, but this was also. Uh, can I just ask you initially? What do you think you will do more after having become a Ukraine influencer? Well, Ukrainians are direct uh, because that's a matter of life and death for us, literally. Because if we're not direct, then that increases the time of the war, prolongs it, and as a result, more Ukrainians are dying. So that is crucial for everyone to understand. And... Uh, my Ukraine influencing mm, for me will be and is and will continue to be even more about mm, sharing all the points that I shared today about Ukrainian intellectuals, about Ukrainian culture, about great Ukrainian media that you can follow, uh, which show you the reality of the war, which cover the stories of people because these are real people and real stories um of of the times and um i think that the greatest thing will be to um create this interest this curiosity around the culture that hasn't been studied that much that has been overshadowed uh you know like as uh, as a lot of eastern european cultures were overshadowed by russian studies and so on um, and I think that um, people, even in the world of literature and language, are missing out on Ukrainians because um, I'm not saying this just because I'm Ukrainian, um, although I am, of course, positively, I have a positive outlook on our culture and literature, but it is truly beautiful. And I believe it should be discovered by as many people as possible. And if I managed to inspire at least someone to start their personal journey of discovering Ukrainian culture and getting inspired by that. That would help them a lot in seeing the events that are unfolding from their own perspective through the study of um, our perspective. So I believe this is truly important and I will keep telling people about Ukrainians, about their contribution about their fight for freedom um, and recommend the sources where they can find out more. Yeah, sure. And that sounds so good. Um, so, yeah, of course, um, I would love it if you also uh, hashtag Ukrainefluencing, Ukrainefluencer or something like that. Um, you don't have to do it every time or anything, um, but maybe just... Um, I would say once every uh, two weeks or something like that. 
and I think it's important to um, to put in sometimes that you are Ukraine fluenting or Ukraine fluenza, um, because I think what people wants want to be maybe in the year uh, of 2023 on Instagram, for example, is that they want to be uh, in, an influencer. It's, it's, and once again, this is not to say anything about anyone, um, but I'm just guessing that on Instagram, um, like the commercial point of Instagram is to have influencers on Instagram. Uh, and my point about being on Instagram right now is more to to do more U- Ukraine influencing on Instagram. And this does not mean that um, I will stop using it as a personal account, at least uh, not for now. Um, or, or I can also say like this, it will always be a Ukraine influencer and Ukraine influencer account that I have um, because that's what I believed we should do at that um, at that point. Yeah, so it, is, it, it would also be great for me just to see what kind of Ukraine influencing you have been up to, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, and then I will tone down my style from now on because now I also know that Ukraine influencing um, is something that other people are doing. Does that make sense? So that I will still keep keep, uh, keep what I have right now up but from now on, I will do it a bit more, um, like a bit more toned down. So it's not. Um... Yeah, that, that's that's totally up to you. I like the name Ukraine Fluencing because it puts Ukraine in the spotlight, and that is what we should be doing instead of diverting the attention, you know, to other things, uh, like canceling other cultures. Mm. You know what I mean? Exactly. So Ukraine Fluencing is great. Exactly, and that is what you're doing. Um, I believe so. So it is also true. You are influencing for Ukraine, and that means that you are Ukraine influencing. That means that if you take it uh, up upon you, is is this also to being kind of an uh, identical thing? Um, I guess that this also means that you are, yeah, um, a Ukraine influencer. Um, and I don't really think you can do Ukraine influencing without really feeling it um, because on Instagram, for example, um, there's not a lot of people who thinks that the next thing they should do is to become a Ukraine, Ukraine influencer. Uh, but still, I think it's a nice uh, way to do it. And I think uh, it's a funny way to do it as well, for me at least, um, because it also enables me to focus on this without always um, having to be serious about it. And this is a very serious subject. Um, and my, can I, okay, can I uh, tell you some of the, like the kind of videos I've been doing, if you haven't seen them? Yeah, sure. All right, sure. So I have a, do you know what a Google Home is? Like a speaker that you can talk to and then it starts playing? Mm, well, I haven't heard of it, to be honest, but it seems to be like, a thing it's yeah it's it's a thing and i got one uh like actually i think maybe even uh four years ago and when i got it four years ago um i got it to my apartment and it's not that i have like uh, the most things in my apartment but the fact that i had that speaker that really uh that really contributed to the mood 
uh, a lot of times, I think, because it was funny to talk into it. So what what I've been doing, for example, is that I've been saying things which I don't say in reality, but what I then do is that I just say things like, um, hey, Google, play the most um, uh, fact-driven, passion-driven, um, and committed conversation series that is out there about Eastern Europe. And then you cut, and then you just cut it so that it says, that, so that it say, uh, I play conversations about Eastern Europe now. And that, um, yeah, I've got good feedback about that. And um, yeah, so that's also the kind of Ukraine influencing I'm doing on Instagram, um, where I, I more post reels that I think are funny, but that at the same time, they either promote the conversation series, which is what I think you really should hear if you want to know like more and more about it. And while doing that, it also just puts Ukraine into the minds of people. Um, and I think that's how you do politics on Instagram. Yeah, and and I I don't I don't care about doing it because a lot of people use their Instagram accounts for political purposes, uh, so I, you can do that. Um, is what I would say. Does that make sense? So that it's like it's to explain what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and why I think it's all right to do Ukraine influencing on Instagram because people use their Instagram accounts at least where I come from, um, also for political stuff. So you can also influence for Ukraine. Yeah. And then uh, can I say one more thing about why I call it Ukraine influencing? Because I'm just realizing sure. it now. Okay. Okay. Go on. All right. It's okay. So another reason why I call it Ukraine influencing is because, so I want to, with the conversation series, that's a, a politically that's a 100% um, politically independent media project, which is um, what I think you really need to do and get people to um, listen to here in 2023. If you really want to uh, make political changes that are not that are not made from within the party organizational um, organizations or um, has come yep. so yeah so that's if you are someone completely from the outside um, you have to do it like this if you want to get people to listen to something um, that really says the, says the things as they are um, so that's why I say that about the conversation series but Ukraine influencing is a bit different because unlike this is like how I like to think about it Unlike a lot of other people who also use their Instagram for political purposes, sometimes maybe they don't really um, think that it is a political purpose in the same way that I think that what they're doing is something that also has a political purpose. But I, I really think it is like that. And then then they um, then they post it on Instagram, and I think that's a little bit fake, to be honest. Because I think that is just about posting something once in a while that um, that shows people that you're also political. And that, of course, you're political about one of the progressive subjects that 
all of your friends also thinks think is nice to talk about um but they don't have a name for it so now i have my own name and you have your own name for what we are doing which is ukraine influencing meaning that we are not we're not exactly being political about it in the way that instagram works but we are being political about it anyways because we're just saying it we're just saying we're ukraine influencing and then um i think that also grants freer ran freer brains to the person doing uh, the ukraine influencing and that's why i also like ukraine influencing because then it doesn't have to be political like extremely political all the time um which is how i am um and that's why i put the in your own right there as well so i just want you to remember that whenever you ukraine influence that you're doing it in your own right 100 percent um and yeah and that's that's what makes it so valuable like you're not getting paid for actually sharing your opinion you share the value that resonates with you um and yeah thanks a lot for the incredible job you're doing uh, as a volunteer as a non-ukrainian which doesn't cease to amaze me um i think that you're contributing big time so i'm really grateful for that i forgot my microphone was on yeah 100 100 and i will keep doing it until the war is won by ukraine uh because that's what we stated would would happen and we stated that there would be one conversation each week within that period so we would keep posting one conversation um within each period and i also think you should uh, thank my producer actually and that he would be glad to hear somebody else thanking him as well yeah thanks a lot what's his name uh frederick frederick okay frederick if i pronounce it right thanks a lot for contributing to ukraine influencing we appreciate it mm. yeah and he actually yeah he he, he but that's also ukraine planting that's the great thing about ukraine planting he mainly works with the conversation series um as a producer so he's not the most you he's his ukraine planting is very different from mine uh, my ukraine planting and from your uh, ukraine planting and that's uh, pretty uh, nice as well but he um he like yeah and he never he, he has never used the the hashtag ukraine influencing uh so in that way you are still number two ukraine influencer but i think he's he is actually a ukraine influencer but he just doesn't uh, show it that much on instagram um and that's completely fine as well but i will look forward a lot natalia to uh, see some of your ukraine influencing on uh, on instagram out there and um if you want to um i always say this but uh, if you want to we can for sure do another conversation in um in the future and then i would just like to go out by stating that one of my biggest beliefs is that voluntary work can uh, solve a lot of problems in the west actually because that's what we don't pol- pol- political voluntary work especially but also voluntary work in general but it should be what i think is the is the right voluntary work and i just have strong opinions about that um so 
I'm, I'm okay. I have to rephrase this as well. Everybody who does voluntary work is good, but it's not good for Ukraine that people spend so much time volunteering for other stuff than Ukraine because that takes away focus from Ukraine. Um, and that's, yeah, that, that slows the collective effort that all the the countries in the Ukrainian defense contact group is doing to uh, to help Ukraine. And yeah, that would be my uh, outgoing statement. Do you have anything here to say on, uh, on the way to the very last end of this conversation? Okay, my statement will be Ukrainian literature is great. Discover it for yourself and keep supporting Ukraine. 100%. No, not by. Uh, this is the end of the conversation then. Yay, thank you. That was the conversation with Natalia. We talked a lot about Ukrainian culture and then we talked a lot about that in an historical context. And I hope that has um, that has made you guys smarter about Ukrainian history. And I hope that I could help her to get better at the Ukraine fluencing she also wants to start doing and to that point it's also just important to say that anyone who wants to do Ukraine fluencing um, and be a Ukraine fluencer uh, they all they will all be it in their own right and I think that's the nice thing about the concept that you do it because you want to do it yourself um, and besides that I once again want, want to thank Natalia, and I want to thank the producer, Frederik Wagner. Hey!